morning. So today's Bible reading is Titus chapter 3. Um, We're going from verse 1 to verse 15. So Titus 3 verse 1. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Saviour, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things, so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law, because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once, and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. As soon as I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, Do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, because I have decided to winter there. Do everything you can to help Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way, and see that they have everything they need. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good, in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. Everyone with me sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Thanks, Emily. Uh, the reading is on your leaflet. I forgot to tell you that. Leave on the inside of your leaflet there. If you want to keep that in front of you, be handy. I wonder, have you ever felt like just getting it away from it all and becoming like like a recluse, hiding away from the world, like a, like a hermit, maybe. Perhaps you were one of those people uh, during lockdown who were like, oh, yes, it, it's terrible that I can't leave the house and don't have to interact with people. And actually, you were secretly loving it and wished it had gone on a bit longer. Because there's a certain attraction to it, isn't there? Um, especially if you're an introvert. You know, I hope you enjoyed the say good day time, if that was you. Um, And throughout church's history, there have been various groups, not our church, sorry, the church generally, there's been various groups like orders of monks who've separated themselves from the world. And we tend not to be so extreme as monks maybe, but we're always in danger of hiding away in a Christian bubble, hanging out with Christians, working with Christians. You know, our children went to Sunrise Christian School, and it's lovely. You know, the staff and the students start the day in the Bible. The the staff pray for the students in the staff room. There's lots of upside to it, but there's a danger 
that the challenges of living in the world as a Christian can make us withdraw from it and become really insular. And there's dangers that become with being really insular, like fashion problems. You know, you can end up influencing each other's fashion in a bad way. There's one more, I think. There you go. Danger in extreme cases of becoming too insular. But is there a right way for Christians to interact with the world that we live in? If we're not going to withdraw from the world completely, is there a right way to be in it? We saw that Titus, in previous weeks, we've seen that Titus was to appoint leaders on the island, Mediterranean island of Crete. And you remember Paul's trip advisor review of Crete? Uh, well, he quoted somebody else. One of Crete's own prophets has said it. Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This saying is true. Well, what about us in our culture, uh, which lives largely without regard to God? Where 20 years ago, Christians were viewed as sort of weird but harmless, and with some nice ethics. Whereas these days, we're seen more as being dangerous and harmful. How do we live out the truth in the world? Before we get into any of it, though, let's remember what we have with communion, that we start with grace. Grace meaning our undeserved free gift of forgiveness and eternal life from God. That when we put our trust and faith in Jesus, we're completely forgiven, right with God forever. That's our starting point. We start by grace, we carry on by grace, increasing in our faith and knowledge about that grace. And that leads to us growing in godliness. So again, any do's or don'ts we're here today are in response to being saved, to knowing that grace already. But the outworking of the salvation we already have, not earning our salvation. So just to recap, in chapter 1 we've seen... Church leaders are to be appointed, and we saw how we're all, really, we're all kind of leaders to the non-Christians in our life. Uh, church leaders to reflect this free gift of grace by being good people, by not being a pig at home, by being nice to our family, being honest, being self-controlled, just being nice to be around. Then in chapter 2, we saw how this plays out in the home. Uh, youngest to oldest, top dog to lowliest position in society, there are ways that accord with the truth, that accord with grace, and there are ways that do not. There are ways to share and show God's grace. And now in chapter 3, we'll see how we're to respond to grace and demonstrate grace living godly lives once we step out of the front door. All the bits of life that everybody else gets to see. So here's your outline. Uh, It's only leaflets. We want to be ready to do what is good. Look at grace past, grace future, and grace present. Ready to do what's good, grace past, grace future, and grace present. So to begin, ready to do what's good. Have a look at Titus 3, verses 1 and 2. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle towards everyone. So we are to be subject. So the idea there is subordinate. Subject to rulers and authorities. To be obedient and obeying their authority. 
So we're not only to pay lip service, not just do the bare minimum of obeying the rules. We've got to be good citizens. We've got to be ready in this state of preparedness to do whatever is good. Now, that's hard, isn't it? I mean, just think about who's got power and authority over you. So the Apostle Paul writing this has probably got in mind official government authorities. And we're very blessed to be governed in a way, in a framework that allows us to disagree, legally express opposition to our rulers while still remaining subject to them. So I guess where the rubber really hits the road for us is... Um, the authority of our bosses or maybe those who teach us. Because research shows that the key thing that most affects your job satisfaction, it's not pay, it's not conditions, it's who your line manager is. So the person most immediately in charge of you. And some days can feel like just one long provocation, can't they? You know, that manager that's got it in for you, that colleague who's always slacking off and getting away with it, the glaring inefficiencies that everyone can see but no one will do anything about, that teacher or lecturer who has labelled you a slacker and so never gives you the benefit of the doubt, or that boss or that teacher who themselves is a slacker and you know their incompetence is holding you back. People being mean, people being two-faced, people being intolerant of your faith and calling you judgmental whilst being really judgmental about you and virtual, virtue signaling, it can be hard to obey those in charge of us. So why should we submit and obey to rulers and authorities even when they don't deserve it? Why should we be gentle towards people who are rough with us? Well, God's grace always brings brings the benefit of order. So right in the beginning of creation, God spoke into the chaos and brought about order. Everything in its proper place, everything with its proper purpose. And rulers and authorities are part of the order established by God's grace. So in Romans 13 verse 1, Paul says this, let every Everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Now, of course, that doesn't mean unconditionally submitting to authorities. God is our ultimate authority, and if the human authority is clearly in conflict with God's will, then we must follow our conscience. So, for example, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a theologian in Nazi Germany who had to decide whether to oppose the authorities and in the end became involved in the plot to assassinate Hitler. In Acts 5, the apostle Peter goes against the authorities because they're telling him to stop preaching the gospel. So, of course, there'll always be something wrong with whoever is in authority over us. But our default position... Our default position should not be to undermine or bypass their authority. Look at what the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 2. Submit yourselves to the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. 
Now, this is the same Peter who knew his way around a dodgy Roman governor, didn't he? He dealt with Pontius Pilate, and he knew how um, unreligious, how ungodly the Jewish religious authorities could be. But he doesn't say that in this statement, does he? He doesn't qualify his statement and say, only obey the good ones. So whilst, of course, there are exceptions, let's not let the potential exceptions to obeying authorities soften the impact of what Peter says there and what Paul says here in Titus. Our default position should be to try our best not to undermine or bypass the authorities over us. Our default should be to be proactively seeking how to do good works in the system we find ourselves in. Because God is good and because God's grace brings order. So sometimes we're going to have to submit when we don't like it. Sometimes we're going to have to be obedient when it makes us suffer. Sometimes we're going to have to lose well. So how do we do that? Well, like a good Englishman. Titus 2, 3, verse, honestly, bear with me. Titus 3, verse 2. Slander no one, be peaceable and considerate, and always be gentle towards everyone. Now, as an Englishman, this is music to my ears. You know, I come from a country where you apologize when somebody else bumps into you, you know. We're to be considerate. Uh, it has a sense of being gentle, kind, tolerant, lenient, cutting people slack. And we're to always be gentle, showing humility, courtesy, being even-tempered. And we're to extend this courtesy, not just to nice people, but to all people, to that unfair boss, to that really annoying kid at school, to that person who never pulls their weight. Extend this courtesy to all people. We're to live out and show these characteristics because they reflect the goodness and the orderliness of God. They reflect his grace. So as far as it's up to you, make an effort to get on with people. Watch what you say. Watch what you post on social media. Don't say stuff stuff behind people's backs. Give people a break. Let them off the hook. Be courteous in your speech and conduct. Why? Not because they deserve it, but because it will help us, keep us in a position where we can teach people about Jesus and show people his grace. See, the danger is that we become embittered towards the world, resentful from it, want to withdraw from it. So what's the antidote? It's remembering grace past, our next heading, grace past. Verse 3. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. So here's part of our motivation for good works. Until God rescued us, We were pretty much in the same boat as those liars and evil brutes. We were like those authorities that it's difficult to submit to. We were the people who were hard to get along with. Um, 
my, in a previous life, I was a clinical tutor. Not previous life. Before I was a pastor, I was a clinical tutor, training radiography students. And the, one of the reasons I really wanted to do that, and I loved doing it, was because I could remember what a terrible student I was. That memory of being rescued from my own uselessness had given me extra patience and extra desire to help students. We need to never forget that we are sinners saved by grace. If we lose sight of that, then we'll find it harder to show that same grace to others in good works. And we might end up doing good works to try and break out of that enslavement, that verse 3 stuff, all by ourselves. Remember how God treated us when we were in that verse 3 state. Verse 4. When the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we'd done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, by whom he poured out on us, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. So given that, who do we think we are holding a grudge? Who do we think we are to look down on anyone? Who do we think we are being unkind, stingy, unloving, demanding righteousness from authorities before deigning to obey them? Kindness, love, mercy, generosity. That's the character of God who we put our trust in. That's the character of Jesus. Whilst we were still pridefully rebelling against God, living for ourselves, God's kindness and love appeared in Jesus' life and death for us on the cross and his resurrection. He has made us new. Verse 5, born again and renewed by his spirit when we believe and trust in Jesus to save us. So notice what we did to make this happen. It's really crucial to get this right. Notice what we did to make this happen. Nothing. It was not because of our good works. It was because of his mercy. God didn't give us what we deserve. He didn't treat us how we would treat someone like us. Instead, he generously saved us through Jesus and by his Holy Spirit made us like we were better than you. It's important to remember our grace past that we already know. And our grace in the future, just briefly looking at verse 7. Jesus gave us a clean slate, a fresh start. And because of this, because of Jesus, we aren't going to be judged for anything we've ever have or ever will do wrong. We're declared innocent, justified. So because of that, we're not fearfully waiting to see if we've done enough good works. Let's be clear. Our good works cannot save us. We can't do enough good stuff to make us right with God. But the good news is, we don't have to. Verse 7, we are heirs and our inheritance is eternal life. An eternal life with Jesus in a glorious future 
where there is none of that verse 3 stuff to worry about. Only perfect, joyful relationship with God and his people. Grace past, grace future, and grace present. If that's our grace past and our grace future, what does grace in the here and now and the present look like? Verse 8. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. So Paul tells Titus to insist on these things, on on the grace things, God's free gift of forgiveness to us in Jesus. Why? Because those are the things that result in us devoting ourselves to doing good and that's good for everyone again we don't do good works in order to be saved but doing good works is what being saved belonging to jesus looks like in the here and now they're our new trend our new direction our drift so how do we get more godly Last week we looked at how grace trains us, argues with us to live upright godly lives, saying no to ungodliness. And in verse 5 we're promised renewal by the Holy Spirit. And this fulfills lots of promises from the Old Testament. I'll pick up on one from Ezekiel. Uh, This promise to change us from the inside out. Ezekiel 36 I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Now this will all be fulfilled perfectly when Jesus returns so that the the new redeemed heaven and earth uh, won't be in danger um, of another fall into sin. But right now, we're already reborn. We've had that heart transplant. Our eternal life has already begun, and God promises that he's at work in you to make you more like Jesus. And it might be slow and tough and frustrating, but the change is real. But notice it's not just a case of just let go and let God. You know, God's at work in me now. I don't put any effort in. He'll change me. Verse 8, we are to proactively join in with God's work in us. We are to be careful to devote ourselves to good works. And verse 14, people are to learn to devote themselves to good works. It's like God has bought us a house. Um, He's the only person who can afford a house at the moment, I think. It's like God's bought us a house and it's ours for free. And he guarantees that in the fullness of time, it'll be perfect. But for now, we join in with the renovations. We join in in the improvements that God gives us to do. Of course, the contrast to all of that is what we saw the false teachers in uh, chapter 1, verse 16. They claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. They're detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. So unfit for doing anything good. Versus excellent and profitable. Excellent and profitable. And that's the measure for what we should and shouldn't argue about later on in the chapter, isn't it? Chapter 3, verse 9. So it is worth arguing about some things. 
about standing up for the truth about Jesus, about gospel issues, things we should talk about a lot because knowledge of the truth and the godliness that goes with it go together. So knowledge of the truth saves people and brings peace with God. But if an argument is unprofitable, avoid it. So, for example, whole denominations have split over what they think happens in the end times just before Jesus returns. But whichever way you interpret it, the take-home message is always the same. Be ready. Jesus is one. He's coming back. Be ready. So don't get into unprofitable arguments. Devote yourselves to doing what is good in the world in response to the grace shown to you. Devote ourselves to doing what is good in the world to display the goodness of God's grace to us. So don't be a holy huddle. It is important for Christians to spend time together with one another, and we really missed being able to do that in lockdowns, didn't we? But don't hang around only with Christians. Mix your universes. I mean, what are you into? Whether it's tennis, stamp collecting, watching telly. Don't form a Christian group to do that. Find unbelievers to do those things with. So you might be able to share Jesus with them. It's why I think churches shouldn't major on um, creating charities and groups to do social action because there's already lots of non-Christians doing that and often doing it much better than we could. And we also have the same, they also have the problem that we don't, generally, Christians generally don't know enough non-Christians. So you can kill two birds with one stone. You can do social action and meet non-Christians. Otherwise, we can get into such a Christian bubble, we might as well be a monk or a nun. Now, if you're not a Christian here today or listening to this, I dare say some of this has been pretty offensive because it's not every day. You know, imagine coming along to church and you get told you're foolish, disobedient, full of malice and envy. But please don't hear any of us here being holier than thou. This is God's assessment of me as well as of you. The truth is all of us left to our own devices are in a bad way, separated from the God we were made to love. But the good news is, if you trusted Jesus with your life, his ultimate good work on the cross pays the price and makes you right with God. As we finish Titus then, what are our takeaways? Well, remember, we begin our Christian life through faith in Jesus, and we keep growing up in our Christian life through faith in Jesus. We never move on from the gospel. We never take away from the gospel. We never add to it. But keep growing in knowing and living and breathing the good news about Jesus so that it colors and shapes and directs every facet of our life and being. Keep remembering the grace of God. So don't ask, when it comes to our godliness, don't ask what's, just ask what's the right thing to do. 
ask what is the gospel thing to do. Not just what's the right thing to do, but what is the gospel thing to do. How, can you, how do you decide what to do based on the grace you know in Christ? Because then you'll be doing the right thing for the right reason in response to grace. So, for example, what should my response to the fact that Jesus gave himself up to me, gave up for me, so that I can be called one of God's children for free, how should my response to be that, to that shape the way I lead in church, the way, how should it shape my home life, my work life? How should knowing God's grace treat, shape how I treat those who hate me? Remember grace, trust and believe in Jesus, be eager to do what is good. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your grace to us in Jesus. Thank you for the good news. Please help us to keep growing in faith, in trusting in you, and in our knowledge of the gospel, in all of its beautiful facets. And please help us as we live out in response to your grace in the great comfort and assurance that we already have your mercy, we already have your salvation. Uh, Please help us know how to uh, do the gospel thing, not just the right thing. Amen.